I imagine it was the last thing they wanted to do. The last thing those women wanted to do was go to that tomb. Because the last thing that they knew was he was dead. And along with that were their greatest dreams, their highest hopes, their future was lost. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is take the risk of believing that God is alive. That Jesus will meet us. That he is risen. And sometimes life is such no matter who we are as we walk through it, we question and we struggle. I need Easter. I need Easter. Recent months remind me that I need Easter. I don't know Pastor Nathan Parker, perhaps you know that name. He pastors the church that served as the reunification center for families from the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, where they were trying to reunite with their children after the shooting on March 27th. And his church was the place where the families and the children could find their way back together where the spouses and the husbands, the wives, the parents. Reflecting on what happened, he made this statement this last week. Nobody needs the Easter show this week. This Holy Week, they re- need the real hope that comes through the gospel. No one needs the Easter show this week or any week. We need the living Jesus. I participated in 35 Easter services and I've preached 35 Easter Sunday sermons as a pastor. And I, did someone just... Did I hear that right? Someone... Who was that person? I'm going to sick our ushers on you. Holy smokes. I need to be kind on Easter, but man, that was like low. Right? Don't worry, we have cameras and recordings. We'll find you. So let me start all over. I participated in a few Easter services and preached a few Easter Sunday sermons as a pastor for just a couple of years. They're brutal. It's a brutal crowd here. 
But I think I could unequivocally say, more than any time, we need Easter. We don't need the show. We don't need an emotional high. We don't even need religious information about Easter. We don't even need the empirical truth data that tells us of the factual reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Though that's all there. That's all low-hanging fruit, really. We need the fruit that's at the top of the tree where the sun shines the brightest and gives us the richest, most satisfying fruit. We need this fruit. We need hope. Actual, real hope. The hope in the statement that God made on Easter Sunday, because Easter is the announcement that God's new creation has begun. The tomb is empty, or he is risen, he is risen indeed, is much more than a feel-good saying. It is the beginning of God's new thing. It is the true source of hope in the world. When the disciples found an empty tomb on Easter 1, they did not have the historical summary that we saw so beautifully presented to us at the beginning of the service. They did not have Christ the Lord is risen today to sing, to break out in. They did not have the stacks of evidence of the historical reality of the resurrection of Christ. But they had what they needed, the living Christ. You see, they understood that reality had shifted. On the day of the resurrection of Jesus, reality had shifted on the access they called normal. To understand what the Easter fact offers us in our modernly enlightened, technologically smart, and scientifically advanced, and information-based world, we don't turn to some new words. We, in fact, turn to ancient words, words that were written, declared, and prophesied 700 years before the resurrection of Jesus. Words that give us hope. And words that the disciples used to understand what actually happened that first Easter Sunday. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, we read these words. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. The disciples found the tomb empty. But then something happened. They left the empty tomb And they walked back into a world where those Roman crucifixion crosses still lined the streets. They walked back into a world that was still racked with pain. There was still oppression. There was still poverty. There was still sickness. There was still death plaguing homes, their homes. And we are like them, like John and Peter. We stumble into the empty tomb. We leave behind the gruesome crosses of life. 
and we declare with hopeful relief, He is risen. And rightfully so, because we are Easter people. We are Easter people. And yet, our world is much like their world. We go into an empty tomb and we rush back out of that empty tomb or we rush back out of a beautiful sanctuary back into a world that is speared with suffering and death and injustice and war and trauma and grief. We walk out of this sanctuary on Easter 2023 and we are greeted by a world where death still pays unwelcome and untimely visits to our loved ones. We walk into a world where school shootings still happen, where innocent children still die, where families are broken, where anxiety consumes, where ravishing tornadoes and wind and war still ravish land and lives. And yes, the disciples walked back into that kind of world as well. We hear it in the post-resurrection writings. Here's a little Easter Day assignment. Search the, go online and search the New Testament for the words suffer and suffering. And what you'll see is that the New Testament writers talked about suffering as commonplace in life, as part of what we deal with in life. But one thing changed that equation. And it was this. That first Easter Sunday, there was a death. Death died that first Easter Sunday. Death died. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified, but he has risen. As we walk into a world that's seemingly set on death, we still walk with one who defeated death. And so, when everything around us feels more like Good Friday than Easter Sunday, we take heart, for we know that is not the end. Hear that. That is not the end. God is making all things new. When we ache over the brokenness of life, when we're angry as witnesses of injustice, when we are saddened by death's entrance, when the death of one we love comes upon us, remember, we are saddened, we are angry, we are aching because we know there is something better. Here again, the words of that ancient prophet, they ring with hope. There, will be, they, there he will remove the cloud of doom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. There was a massive shift in the way the world works that first Easter Sunday. And these disciples made the direct connection from these words 700 years before the resurrection to what was happening Paul writes this, quoting these very words in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's more than a nice saying. It is a nice saying, but it's more than that. It's rock-solid, universe-altering truth is what it is. Death does not have 
the final word. Would you say that with me? Death does not have the final word. Our world wants us to believe that. We gather at cemeteries. We stand in front of our, our, the remains of our loved ones and we think, is this it? Well, Jesus came to change that narrative. Death does not have the final word. Not at all. And that means one thing. Yes, this is about a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants us to be in relationship with him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He wants that for us. But it's not just about that, though it is that. It's not just about finding our way to heaven, making sure we make it to heaven, though there is that. His resurrection empowers the way. Rather, it's something greater, it's something grander. Even the disciples struggled to find language to communicate what it means. Again, reaching back to those words we shared from 700 years before the resurrection, we hear these words from St. John in the book of Revelation. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Hear that. The old order of things has passed away. So what happened? Well, the truth we all long to hear and need to hear in our current realities comes through the very words of Jesus when he says, I am making all things new. And that includes you and me. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. A new creation has been birthed by God right now. Think about your life right now. Think about your life as it is right now. Can you imagine what this means for your life right now? Just imagine a new creation has been birthed. A new day. Can you imagine a new day? Can you imagine a new start? Could you imagine a new chapter? Could you imagine something new happening in your life? Could you imagine a new hope? Could you imagine a new vision for living? Could you imagine a new realization of who you actually are, the beloved of God made in his image to be in relationship with him by the power of a living God? Can you imagine new creation for your life just right where you are? Where do you need that? You see, we don't need the show. We need that. We need new creation. We need Easter. But not just to make us feel good, but to make us different. Not just to help us, but actually to hold us. Not just something to believe in, but rather something and someone to hope in when it seems like hope is on the edge. This isn't about emotion, though we're emotional about it. This is about trust. And this is about hope. Because they discovered, actually, the tomb was and is still empty. Remember the question, where are the bones? 
You see, we know this Easter truth. Death dies. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? Pastor Clay Stauffer presided over the funeral of nine-year-old Evanly Deakhouse, one of the victims from the Nashville shooting. Right before he presided over her funeral, he said this, death and darkness never have the final say. We're the people of the resurrection. And as he wrestled with the questions and the tensions over what occurred and what the media was saying and what politicians were saying and what people were saying and bloggers were saying, as he wrestled with all that, he said, you know, I don't know any of that, but I know one thing for certain. We need Easter this year. We need Easter. So friends, don't let's just, let's not just settle for the Easter show. We need the real thing. The living Christ who makes everything new and that makes all the difference. Because death does not have the last word when the living Christ is the one we build our lives on. Nothing else will offer us what we need except these words. He has risen. You see, that simple truth offers us everything that the world cannot offer us. It's not that the world does not offer that to us, or that the world doesn't want to offer that to us, the world cannot actually offer to us this. Hope that is awakened. True hope. The world around us holds a belief in us. Holds a belief in us that we have an unstoppable human ability to make a better world. That's the world around us. That's a secular utopian view of the world, that we as human beings have an unstoppable human ability to make a better world. But the events of the world around us teach us that that idea has failed miserably. If we believe that there's an unstoppable human capacity and ability to make a better world, that's a place of lost hope. Like I said, we stare at the same realities the disciples did when they walked out of the empty tomb. The difference is, we have true hope, not a false knockoff. Not a cheap imitation that's wrapped in spirituality. Why is that? Because our hope is not a myth that our own powers can be trusted to advance human well-being or that our own ability can create a utopia. You know what the problem with the utopia is? Everyone's idea of utopia is utopia. And everyone's idea of utopia doesn't match up with everyone else's idea of utopia. So you can never have utopia when the idea of utopia is your idea or my idea. You see, instead, we are Easter people. Our faith is in the living God. We know his new creation project is already underway. And so this is not wishful thinking based on human dreams or abilities but rather it's based on a historically based ultimate resurrection reality. We are not wishing for anything. We are not wishing for anything. We are waiting for something. And there's a big difference, man. We're not wishing for things to get better. We are waiting for God to make all things right. 
We're not wishing that we would feel better. We are waiting for the living God to meet us in our darkest moments and carry us. We're not wishing for a thing. We're waiting for God to continually meet us. That right there, out of this entire message, that sentence for me says it all for me. I am not wishing for a thing. I'm just waiting for God to show up. And he keep, you, know what, you know what's funny about that? He keeps doing that in ways that I never expect. We are waiting for what we already know to be our future. Hope. Hope is what we set the compass of our hearts to, especially when it seems like we have none. Hope is what we set the compass of our hearts to. Even when we step out of a glorious sanctuary like this into a dark world that seems unchanged because we know the tomb is empty. Easter is not escapist wishful thinking. Easter is about real life. The theologian and scholar N.T. Wright said this, a shock wave has rattled through the world so that despite appearances, the world is in fact a different place, full of new possibilities that were previously unimagined. Listen to that. Here's my question about that. What are you doing with the shock wave? What do we do with this shock wave? This shock wave that's rattled the world. What do we do with it? Well, some of you know the name Tim Keller. Well, Dr. Tim Keller is in a battle with pancreatic cancer. And he's ending in, into a whole nother level of treatments. But throughout his treatment, he keeps pointing back to the hope of the living Christ. Why is that? Why this man who's facing and battling and dealing with pancreatic cancer, why is he able to do that? Well, he wrote these words. If the claims of Christ are not true, then you should have nothing to do with him, for he is a wicked lunatic. That first sentence, if it's true, if his claims are not true, I'm the first in line to have nothing to do with this lunatic. Hear that. That's honest doubt at play. Next week, we're going to start a two-part series called The Doubters Club. We're going to talk about some people, some more famous than others, who brought their honest doubt to the table and examined the evidence of Christ and examined the evidence. Of, they were honest in their doubt. And they walked away honest in their belief. We're going to talk about that. But first it starts here. Either Jesus was the son of God or Jesus was a madman, a lunatic, or as C.S. Lewis said, worse. But let's start there. He says... If the claims of Christ are not true, then you should have nothing to do with him, for he is a wicked lunatic. But if he did rise from the dead, his claims are true. Therefore, we should take everything in our lives and put them at his feet. We should build everything in our lives around him. And so what Tim Keller has done is he's brought pancreatic cancer, and he's put it at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Dr. Keller. He's probably never going to see this sermon, but I'm going to say thank you, Dr. Keller. He's brought pancreatic cancer, and he's put it at his feet. But why was he able to do that? Because he built his whole life, whatever his life is about, on the living Christ.
It's amazing what children teach us. Let's not underestimate these voices we hear in here today, these beautiful children. It's amazing what they teach us in their innocence and their faith. It's, it's no wonder that Jesus said that you need to have like the faith of a child, right? You need to be childlike, not childish. Most adults are childish. The children are childlike, right? Right? When we say, when, when, we, when we look at a four-year-old, we don't go, you're so childish. Well, of course they are. They're children. But when we look at a 48-year-old, go, you're being childish, right? There's a difference. Jesus says, you need to be childlike. Back to that funeral of that nine-year-old precious little girl. As I was reading about her, and we should, you should, you see their pictures and read about them. And the day that I become numb to these kind of things is the day that I stop doing what I'm doing. But when that pastor was talking about nine-year-old Evelyn, apparently she was energetic, smart, and lit up the world around her. I've never met her, you've never met her, but that pastor knew her. And he said, Evelyn could have been anything. But then he said this, but she chose to be a beacon of light and hope, love and joy to those around her. Have you ever seen those depictions of the empty tomb and there's this otherworldly light coming out of it? Shh, right? Well, there is light that's coming out of the tomb, but it's not the one portrayed on Easter cards or corny Christian prints. Let's just call it what it is, okay? But that light that pours out of the empty tomb is the light of the life of Jesus. And it is seen. There is light that comes out of the empty tomb that is seen. It's seen in those who claim to follow this resurrected Christ. You see, the empty tomb, that light of the empty tomb is actually a fulfillment of the words of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus looks at those, those disciples who were such a mess, like me, like you, and he says, you are the light of the world. You are. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. If you have the courage right now, go like this. Let's put your finger right there. Ready? You are the light of the world. That's what he says to him, And then he says this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You and I are the fulfillment of the light that comes out of the empty tomb. But it doesn't stop there. The resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer when the Lord prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when Paul the Apostle declared death has no victory, like we read earlier, he did not say this. Paul did not write this. Listen, let's now go rejoice in heaven. Though I love, I, I'm rejoicing that there's a heaven. But Paul doesn't say, let's go rejoice in heaven. This is what Paul says. As a result of all this, my loved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord as always because you know that your labor isn't going to be for nothing in the world. 
The resurrection offers us the foundation for a new creation life now, pointing to what God will ultimately do when he makes all things right. But here's the question. What is it that I, Jeff DeFrancis, do now that will be celebrated in heaven, that will be celebrated in eternity? And T. Wright says it this way. Every act of love, every deed done in Christ and by the Spirit, every work of true creativity, doing justice, making peace, healing families, resisting temptation, seeking and winning true freedom, act as a signpost of hope, pointing the world to the resurrected Christ. And so as we begin to close, let me ask you and myself some questions. Do I view my world and circumstances in life differently because I follow the living Christ? Because death no longer has the last word, do I walk in faith when hope is hard? Do I walk in forgiveness of others because forgiveness has been given to me and sin has been redeemed in my life? Do I walk in love because Jesus actually is the living Lord? Is this world around me changed? Because I no longer live according to the old order of things, the old order of power and the old order of success and the old order of centering on me because I live differently because I don't live according to the old order of things. Is my life evidence that the hope of resurrection has been awakened in me Is my life evidence that Jesus really rose from the grave and lives today? Evidence that his new creation project has already begun. I don't have to wait. The kingdom is here now in Christ by the power of his spirit. Because I walk with the living Jesus, is my faith, hope, and love centered on him? And is that seen? And because of Easter, am I a beacon of light and hope and love and joy to those around me. If he did rise from the dead, his claims are true. Therefore, we should take everything in our lives. We started this service and this sermon on where are you in your life? If we bring that to him, We place that as an act of faith before God in prayer. We then should build everything in our lives around him. Our worship team is going to come. My friends, as never before, we need Easter. Our world needs Easter. Our world has tried every which way possible in the name of human progress in the name of political power, in the name of an undying ability for mankind to make the world better. But our world actually needs Easter. Actually needs the actual power of the resurrection of Jesus in our lives to make the greatest difference. Death has died. Hope has been awakened. So here's my challenge for you and me today. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, here's my challenge. 
Let us live as if that were true. Death has died. Hope has been awakened. Let us live as if that were true because it is. Let us live as Easter people. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to sing in closing a version of Because He Lives that causes us to cry out to Him and celebrate Him. And wherever you are in your journey today, we pray that the Lord would meet you in your journey today. We do ask you to fill out that card and drop it in the basket. And if you want to connect with us and talk more about the journey where you are, we invite you to do that. We'll be glad to have conversation with you and walk the journey with you. But here's what we need today. Here's what you need, what I need, even when we don't know we need it. We need Easter. We need a living God. And because he lives... We have what we need. Let's sing together.